Well, if somebody was to come to you and say they had the secret of the universe, a secret to unlock all the mysteries of the universe, you probably would listen in because everybody wants to know what is the secret to success in this life. How many of you remember that book, The Secret, that came out back in 2006? People flocked to the bookstores to buy this book to find out what people had discovered about the secret. And, and most of the people have one of these sitting you know, on a bookshelf somewhere. I don't need the book, The secret because the secret is here. You know, God, although he has, he is somewhat hidden to the human eye, God has intricately woven the very fabric of his being into even his creation. God's desire is not to stay hidden, but that the true seeker would search him out. And so the things in the kingdom that are secrets can be yours and mine and can be known freely. God does not want to remain a secret. You know, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans of hope and to give you a good future. But if I was to ask you what comes next, who could tell me? If you got it, shout it out. Don't cheat. And you will seek me and you will find me when you have searched for me with all your heart. You had it. (laughs) See, God wants to be uncovered by us. God wants to be discovered. And so tonight, we're going to explore a secret. There are a lot of secrets in God's kingdom that have been lost over time. One of those secrets that we really hammered home in our youth ministry, in our tenure over these past 10 years, was the secret of purity. There is a lost art to purity. And unfortunately, even the body of Christ has lost touch with the art in the secret of purity. See, we lose the secrets of God's kingdom anytime we allow the world to infuse its system and bring its system upon us. You see, we are not to be infused with the world system, but we are to go, as Jesus said, and bring the system and the kingdom of God into the world. But you can read all the way through this scripture, and you'll see from the time of sin, mankind and the children of Israel were always getting off. And the reason they got off was because they allowed the world culture and the world system to come in. And so as we read through our scriptures, we discover, man, there are things in here that God has for us. Now, we're not going to talk tonight about the secret of purity, but we are going to talk tonight about the secret of servanthood. There is a true secret secret in God's kingdom, and it is called the secret of servanthood. The disciples asked Jesus, were disputing, we're going to see this in a little bit, they were disputing over who was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. I always get encouraged when I read the Bible because these are real guys. So if you struggle with pride, it's okay. So did Jesus' disciples. You know, so we just have to work on not thinking too highly of ourselves than we ought to. But we can work on confidence. But I want to show you this tonight. So you can keep that up and on the side screens. For those of you on the front row, you probably can see this. But you guys can go ahead and bring up this picture uh, on the side screens here so we can show everybody what this is. The day of my ordination, the day I was ordained as a pastor, this was a gift that was given to me. And this gift sits in my office to remind me that the role of a pastor is to be a servant. And I love having this there because this is a reminder that Jesus, who was the king of all, got down to serve his disciples. 
And so we have to be mindful of that. So, but I want to explore this tonight because this is not just the role of the pastor. You see, the greatest in God's kingdom are those who can be servants of all in every area of life. In home, in the workplace, in the church, wherever you find yourself. It's not just the five-fold ministry that's got to work on being servants. But we're going to discover tonight that the secret to success in God's kingdom is the secret of servanthood. I would like you with me to go to the book of Mark. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Mark tonight. And we're going to get encouraged by the disciples who were just normal guys. Everyone say normal guys who did great things. Let's see which one we want to tackle here first. I want you to go to Mark. Mark is in the New Testament. It's the second gospel recorded in the New Testament. I love the book of Mark. It's 16 chapters. It's a quick read, and it gives you a quick synopsis of Jesus' life and all that he did in his time while he was here. I want you to go to 933. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. When you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. Everyone say, the greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. So, Mark chapter 9, verse 33, then he, who is Jesus, came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? I love the way Jesus sets things up, man. He just knows that they're having a discussion on the road. Verse 34, but they kept silent, for on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Man, if you can't get encouraged reading the Bible, these were normal guys. Listen, all of us have ambition. All of us have some pride that's being graded off of us. But if we're submissive to God, he's going to do the work. And we're going to see tonight how God responds to these disciples in such a loving way that he's able to produce what he wants. And that's what God does with us and our relationship with him. See, the disciples were confused. We just need to give a little context here. And Pastor John has done a wonderful job of that. But the disciples were confused because they understood as they read through the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets and the Pentateuch, that the, the Messiah, when he would come, would set up his kingdom on the earth. But they misunderstood that Christ's first coming wasn't actually for that purpose, not the kingdom, you know, uh, that Jesus talks about where he's going to take over the world, but the kingdom of God is what he brought to us, the kingdom of God within. But when Jesus comes, if you read the book of Revelation, when he comes again, he's going to reign for that millennial year, and then his kingdom will be here on the earth. So they were looking for what's going to happen later on. And so they were thinking, oh man, when we get there, who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom? This is literally what they're arguing. I'm going to be the duke. You're going to be the sir duke. I'm going to be the bishop. You're going to be the archbishop. And they're having this discussion. These are the guys that went out and took the gospel and changed the world. Twelve men who changed the world and they're discussing who is going to be the greatest. Be encouraged tonight, okay? Because we get caught up in the simple things of life. But see, this is part of the problem. We're going to keep reading here in verse 35. And he sat down and he called the 12. Man, Jesus is just like a father. Come over here, boys. And he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, 
Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. See, the human mind and the human heart has a hard time with this concept. The difference between God's kingdom and God's system and the world system is that God does not operate on the world standards. And so these guys are now thinking, okay, when Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, we've seen all these miracles, we've seen all these great things happen. Now when he sets up his kingdom, we're going to be right there with him. But God's plan was different. And you know, the human heart and the human mind, we all in this room wrestle with ambition. We're born in this world. And for those of us who were born in the United States, we have this American dream dream looming over our head, that that is why we're here. And so we grow up in this country, and there's nothing wrong with the Amer- having the American dream, as our pastor would say, as long as it doesn't have you. And so here's the deal. We've got this looming over our head, and God says, whoever desires to be the greatest shall be servant of all. And we're going to talk tonight, well, how can you be a servant and in your workplace? We're going to talk about that tonight. But what I want to do is keep moving here. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 46, just to give a little more context to the story that we just read. Luke chapter 9, verse 46, the human heart struggles because it's self-centered and ambitious, but the more that we submit ourselves to the Lord, the more that his heart gets developed inside of us. Luke chapter 9, verse 46, to give you more context here, then a dispute arose among them as to which one would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and called them and said, whoever receives a little child in my name receives me, receives receives me, receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all will be great." See, we, we fall into this trap as Christians, even in the 21st century, we say, oh, but we're just human. We're just human. But there's something that took place when we got born again. For those of you in this room who are born again, is you are no longer just human. The Spirit of God was deposited in your heart the moment that you were born again. In fact, to be born again literally translates to be born from above. And so God took His Spirit and deposited it inside of you the moment that you were born again. See, religion is off because religion always works from the outside in to make you a better person. But God said religion will never make it, so I will do what is impossible with man, and I will deposit my nature, I will deposit my character, and I will deposit my spirit in the very core of you so that just like a seed in the ground, it'll work from the inside out. And God, who is the greatest of all, is actually the servant of all. Go back to our picture there. Go back to our, our sculpture. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was there at the dawn of the universe, the greatest of all became the servant of all. And so you and I as Christians, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And so we've got to take this along with us in our workplace, in the marketplace, in the public sector, in the private sector. We'll talk more about this in just a minute. I want you to check this out. Take a good look at what happens here because Paul begins to continue this idea in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Turn with me to book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2.
Does anyone have a pen I could borrow? Do you have a pen, Denny? Philippians chapter 2, you can go to verse 3 and just shout at me when you get there. Thank you, sir. Just write this down here. So Paul, who is the writer of Philippians, continues this same idea. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. See, there's that thing right there. There's that selfish ambition we're facing right there. The very, the very fact of being born into this world. Who was the very first selfish ambition person? Pers- uh, not really person, but spirit. It was Lucifer, who wanted to exalt himself above God. And when Adam sinned in the garden, he exchanged the God nature for the sin nature. And so we're constantly, before we're born again, at war with this sin nature. But when we submit to God, let nothing be done, verse 3, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. This is, this is what we're about to read is one of the most powerful passages in the Scripture, and most Christians are missing it. Verse 3, the end of verse 3, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So if you do a little research, you can go to the Greek and find out that what it actually means. Because see, if you're like me, you mean, oh, well, that doesn't actually mean. What about the real, you know, foolish people? I mean, what, you know, there's, there's some good eggs and there's some, you know, not some good eggs. I mean, so, so how do we deal with these people who are, you know, God, what do you say? Uh, and when you look this up in the Greek, let each esteem others better than himself. Guess what it means? Let each esteem others better than himself. Than himself. And yet if we're really honest, if we take a heart look tonight at the people that we have contact with all the time, think about that most annoying person in the workplace. Are you esteeming them as better than you? Because see, Christ's heart was to esteem us as greater than himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have went to the cross. God's heart was to esteem us as lost, as ugly, as broke, busted, and disgusted as we were, as greater than himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to the cross. So let each esteem others better than himself. To have that loneliness of mind literally translates as a deep sense of one's moral littleness. A deep sense, to have a deep understanding of how really small I am in the grand scheme of God's whole plan. You see, this is not self-abuse. This is not, but the problem is too much of our lives, even as the body of Christ, can be puffed up. No? It can be puffed up. We can build ourselves up so much that even when we're interacting with each other, we're not being real. We're not looking at each other. We're not looking over each other's faults. We're, we're thinking about our own thing instead. We're thinking about our own selfish ambition, what we've got going on. We're more concerned about what's going on in our own lives. And the proof is when we come here each and every week, shake hands, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, everyone's blessed. That's great. But are we really taking time to get to the core of where people are? Or are we so focused on everything that's going on in our own lives? So just a little heart check. Verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And there it is right there. 
See, some of this can be a hard pill to swallow, a hard word to look at. But if we discover the secret, if we're in the, the desire tonight to discover the secret of servanthood, we'll see, as Jesus said a moment ago, that if we're willing to take that low place, God will take every low thing. God will take everyone who has put himself under, and God himself will exalt him or her. That's the promise of 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. It's to submit yourself and God will exalt you, but he will resist the proud. So let's keep going tonight. Let's keep studying this out. I want you to take a look at some other scriptures with me. Mark chapter 10. We're going to go back to Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. This is where Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is totally different than the kingdom of this world. And part of our struggle, if we have a struggle as Christians, part of our struggle is to fight off the pressure of the world system. Again, the world wants to be the mold impressing us, but we as Christians must be the mold impressing the world. And, and what we discover here is that the kingdom of God, as Pastor John taught the very first few years that he was here, the kingdom of God is like an upside-down kingdom in terms of the way that the world operates. It doesn't function on the same principles. And the world will say, go after everything you can to be the most powerful person that you can. You do everything within your power to be the best you that you can. Well, listen, let's take that and let's add a little salt of Christianity to it. Let's add a little humility of pepper with Jesus and sprinkle some Uh, you know, some of the things we really need on there because that ambition will lead to an end. Why is it that the most successful people in our world, we hear about actors, we hear about singers ending their lives in suicide, all the money, everything you could possibly want, and yet it doesn't satisfy the very core of the human heart. Why? Why? Because greatness isn't in those things. It's not. That's the world system. But there's a secret here that we're going to discover in Mark 10.35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Man, okay, (laughs) a little bit of arrogance there, right? But watch how the master responds. Watch Jesus, man. He says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Did Jesus rebuke them? He didn't. Man, as we read through the scripture, we discover the heart of God. Here we are thinking that Jesus is going to be like, you guys need to learn a lesson. But he doesn't. He literally says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Now they're really <laughs> building themselves up. Apparently, they didn't stick around for Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, esteem others as better than yourself. They're like, we are it. We are the sons of thunder. We're going to go right behind Jesus. It's going to be Jesus, and then it's going to be us. And everybody in the world is going to know John and James. That's where these guys are at. That's what they're thinking. And yet Jesus doesn't come at them and rebuke them. Keep reading, verse 38. But Jesus said, you actually don't know what you're asking. He doesn't rebuke, though. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus, (laughs) exactly. We got this, Jesus. Don't worry. (laughs) 
We are able, so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Okay, here's where we're about to discover the difference in God's kingdom versus the world's kingdom. Verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. Here's the reason. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the secret of servanthood in God's kingdom. When we choose, does that mean that God is against authority? Absolutely not. Jesus was full of authority. In fact, uh, even the centurion understood that because he said, I too am a man of authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. They understood that Jesus was one of authority. And yet the beauty of God's kingdom is that the one who has been brought even to the greatest place of authority can still have the humbleness in heart to go to the lowest of places. And that is the secret secret in God's kingdom, that no matter where he brings you and me publicly, no matter where he brings us in the marketplace, that we have the humbleness of heart, that we have the humility, the servant attitude, that no matter where he brings us to great places, we would still choose, choose to be servants of all. The greatest in God's kingdom is the one who's willing to become a servant of all. See, it's counterintuitive. It's counter because we're functioning on the world system that says, I, 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 me, 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 mine, 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 mine. That's the world system. But God says, when you allow my word to be infused inside of you, the Son of God didn't even come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we're discovering this secret tonight, we're going to take some time right now to explore how that actually works. Because there are great secrets. The secret of serving in giving yourself, when we think about serving, this is not a message because we have needs in the church, because we're going to talk about that. There are needs in the church, but there's always going to be needs. There's needs in your home. There's needs in the marketplace. There's needs here at the church. But it's the servant attitude that God is looking to develop within us, because we need to know when to step out and when to sit back. We need to know our time. But there are a few secrets that I want to discuss with you, because serving gives you the opportunity to stay fresh. Serving helps you to stay fresh. I want you to consider your life like an open container right now, okay? Like a big barrel open container. A keg, for example. I know. Take the lid off the keg for a second, okay? This big barrel, right? You're this big barrel. You're an open container. This is God's desire. You seek and serve the Lord. You spend time with God. He pours out his nature, character, and spirit inside of you. Now, is that supposed to stay there? No. 
No, it is not. It is supposed to be there so people can draw out and so you can pour out in your service. Now, the secret is you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, what you have inside of your container is not going to stay fresh. How many of you know I, I was having a mosquito issue a couple years ago at my house and then my friend came over and he looked out right outside my bedroom door, uh, right outside my bedroom window outside in the yard is a big fire pit and we had a lot of rain that year and this open fire pit is, uh, it, it's not porous so the water stays in it. So the water had just been sitting there through the heat of summer. What happens with stagnant water? It's a breeding ground for pests. Everyone say pests. Okay, now follow me where I'm going here. Because if we are open containers that God has poured out his spirit in, and we're just sitting here being stagnant water, guess what? We're going to be the best pests in the world. We're going to be the ones that are nitpicking every little thing. We're going to be nitpicking every little thing because God didn't intend for us to be a container, fat, dumb, and happy, filled up with everything that we need. He intended us to be a container that people could draw from and draw from and draw from. And when we get bold enough that we can pour out on others. The secret of being a servant, the benefit of being a servant is that it keeps you fresh. Another benefit of being a servant, which actually means to give of yourself keeps you aware and keeps you humble. See, there's a world out there. This goes right back to the self-centeredness and selfish ambition. We have become, how many of you have ever seen the movie Wall-E? Anyone ever seen the Disney movie Wall-E? That movie was prophetic because it came out long before people were glued to their screens and phones. And now, just think about this. I am not against technology. You know that. I've shared that before. I, you know, text my gift each and every week. I'm not against technology. But again, it has to be one of those things that we have but doesn't have us because we have become so unaware of the world around us. And this is not just a teenage problem, folks, okay? I read an article that kids are turning to their dads and say, dad, get off your Facebook. Like, <laughs> times have changed. It was MySpace and then it was Facebook when we were in college. And if we're 30-something having kids, guess what? Our kids are turning to us now in the 30s and the 40s and saying, get off your Facebook. We have become so unaware of the world around us. You know what the problem with that is? Is that the time that the church is sleeping is the time that the enemy comes to plant his purpose and his plan. And that is why Jesus said you must stay awake and you must be ready because the enemy's working. The, he's, he's working. The spirit of the antichrist is already in the world. And if we're just getting wrapped up, you know, the reason that Facebook never ends, the reason that Instagram never ends, the reason that you can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll is because you don't realize minute upon minute, hour upon hour, how much time you have just blown by scrolling and the nonsense you have just sucked in by scrolling. Meanwhile, the world is dying around us. Forget about the world. Our homes are breaking down in front of us. I'm going there. Our children are breaking down in front of us. Men are getting sucked into pornography right here. Just got another article today. You'd be astounded at the number of Christian men getting sucked into pornography because of this right here. This is not a condemning thing, but the problem is we've got to wake up, church. We've got to wake up because it's happening before our eyes and we've got the veil over. We've got the veil over. 
We need to be aware of what's going on. And so when we're active servants, we are actively engaged in God's culture. We are actively engaged in the world. It's not just being a servant in the church. Are you a servant in the world? Am I a servant in the world? Am I taking care of my neighbors? The Lord said to me a couple years ago, they're your responsibility. I put you on that block. I put you there. They are there for you. Remember what I said to Joshua? Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given you. That place belongs to you. So we just began to pray for our neighbors, and God began to give us opportunities to minister to our neighbors. And just the block is getting changed. It's happening. It's happening. It's not just here in the church, not just here in these four walls, but we've got to be active in serving. And so that helps to keep us aware, and it helps to keep us humble. It's amazing when you get out there and you step away. It's not just the phone and the technology, but when you get out of your own self and you take off the mantle of whoever you professionally are, when you just come home, take off that mantle. How many of us as parents, young parents, come home and we, we can't get that mantle off? The pressure of this world, the pressure of everything we're trying to do, and yet these little children are running around and all they want is your time and attention. And what a struggle to be able to pull off that mantle and say, this is who I am for you. But Jesus did it, and he has given us the ability to do it as well. And so we can never get to the place where we're too high to become servant of all. It keeps us humble. Giving of yourself will keep you aware and keep you humble. It gets good here now, okay? I'm really excited. Is everyone still with me? Everyone say, I love. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Make sure that gets in the recording, okay? I love Pastor John. (laughs) Oh, man. That's awesome. Okay, so greatness in God's kingdom is serving. There's no way around it. The secret of serving is that you are blessed as you are blessing others. The benefit of being that open container is that when you give out, God says, oh, there's more room. Right? Right? Because as you're giving out, God says there's more room. But when you're just sitting there and you're full, oh, okay, on to the next one. We got to empty so that he can fill us up. Here's the best part about this, okay? Because part of the secret and the benefit of serving, part of giving of yourself is the joy that comes in serving, the joy that comes in giving of who you are. Check this out. I want to take you to two scriptures. Um, I want to take you over to John chapter 16, verse 21. This is a powerful scripture here. Jesus talks about a few different things. John 16, verse 21. Jesus is talking to them, and he's, he's going to liken the experience to a mother giving birth, but he's talking about sorrow being turned to joy. How many of you know sometimes when you have to give of yourselves and when you have to serve, there is a little bit of pain sometimes that comes with that? Am I right or am I wrong? It, it's not easy to give of yourself when you have expended yourself all day long, okay? Right? Let's go back to the child example. Mom and dad. More moms and dads are working longer hours now than ever before. More work is coming home due to things like this. So you've expended yourself all day long. 
Most people aren't working in physical labor jobs anymore. Most people are working in mental, which actually is sometimes more stressful than getting out there and doing the physical labor. And so we come home, we've got all this on us. What was my point? (laughs) Children, time for children? Yeah, all right, it'll come back. Let's go back to John 16. I don't remember what I was saying there. Oh, it was good too. Kids are coming. What did somebody say, Pastor John? Is that that like the catchword tonight? John 16, verse 21. A woman, oh, sorrow turned to joy. That's what it was. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Watch this. For the joy that a human being has been born into the world. I remember, I've watched all four births of my children, and I remember just that, you know, that, that time and that labor. Some of the labors were longer, and some of the kids, man, Noah, he just came flying out. It was like, where did that, it was like, catch, literally, catch the baby. And it's like, but some of them, you see the long labor, you see that enduring process, and moms, you know what it's like. But then that moment you cradle that child in your arms, all of that goes away. And the big joke is, you know, you end up getting pregnant again because you forgot everything that happened in that process. <laughs> but the joy that comes. You know, sometimes there is pain in the offering. Sometimes there is pain in the giving of yourself. That's what it was. When you've expended yourself all day long and you come home and the children are pulling at you or your spouse just wants to hear from you, just wants to talk to you, and yet there's this big cloud and veil over your head because of the pressure of this world. And sometimes you feel like you're going to lose if you take Take that mantle off because we've bought the lie that we have to be thinking and working all the time about these things. But the secret is that if we let it go, we can be like Paul. I know whom I have believed, and he is able to keep all that I have entrusted to him. And so when you let go of that and you're willing to give of yourself in your household, you'll find that that blessing is there. We also see that the joy is described in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Turn there with me so you can see this, Hebrews 12. I don't know if I gave these guys, the media guys this passage here, but Hebrews 12, please. Everyone say joy. joy. There is joy when you serve. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when you're there, just shout at me and say, I got it. I got it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, everyone say joy, joy, that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know, there is joy when you give of yourself, and you're willing to lay down of your own ambition. You're willing to lay down your own ambition. You're willing to lay down yourself and to give freely. All right, so let's get down to some practical application because there are priorities in giving. Again, as I said, this is not a message about serving because the church has needs. There are always going to be needs. What we have to do as followers of Christ is that we have to be in tune with the Spirit so we know when and how to serve. And so 
we're going to walk through a few different things. You know, uh, it's, it's been taught that Jesus was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to be drawn on. But Jesus was only willing to be interrupted and only willing to be drawn on when the Father told him and showed him that is exactly what needed to happen. Because Jesus didn't move because Mary and Martha said that Lazarus was going to die. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. And so part of the balance of the Christian walk is knowing when and how to serve. Okay, so there's some priorities. We're going to walk out here really quick. So priority number one, you say, okay, this is really great. You know, we're all going to be great servants, but what does that actually mean? Well, let's prioritize our serving. Everything in life comes down to what we have covenant with, okay? So we have covenant with who first? God. If you are born again by the blood of Jesus, you now have covenant with God. And we don't have time to get into what covenant is, but that means that we have a binding relationship with God. It's binding on his end. No matter what we do, he'll never run, a, run away from that. That's what we sang about tonight. He'll never change what he has done for us already. So we have covenant with God. And so as we look at the prioritization of our lives, whether it's serving or whatever it may be, it starts first with God. We serve the Lord first. Here's the problem in the church today, and I'm going to say this, and I, I'm not. The problem is that we as Christians have confused serving in the church with serving the Lord. The church is not God, the church is God's possession, it's the bride of Christ. So we can't, we can't say we're satisfying our service to the Lord because we're serving at church. No, there's a place to serve at church. But the church belongs to the Lord, and we get to serve the Lord through serving the church. But that is not our service to the Lord. And so we've got to come back, back to our priority of our covenant is first to the Lord. Our duty, our responsibility is first to the Lord. And so what does that actually mean? It's way more simple than we realize. Because serving the Lord is the picture we're given in the Gospels of Mary and Martha. Martha was more concerned about serving and prepping her house for Jesus. You know, it's one thing to get ready for the guests when they're, when they're on their way. It's another thing to still be doing the work when the guest is there. Okay? The guest came to spend time with you. And so you need to spend time with the guests instead of doing all the work. She's running around. She gets mad at her sister. And Jesus is saying, you are so concerned about all the wrong things. Mary chose what was right. And that was to come and sit at my feet. You know, service to the Lord, serving the Lord begins with having a relationship with him. Do you know that that's it? That is the beginning of it. It is so simple. It is so simple. It doesn't need to be clouded with religion. It doesn't need to be clouded with duties. It is literally, I am yours. I am yours first and foremost. The start of my day belongs to you. My, the priorities of my life come from your word, not from my own personal beliefs and experience. My life is yours, Lord. That's our service to the Lord is time with him. And in that time, he will then show us other things that we need to do or that he wants to accomplish through us. But those are a natural, spiritual outworking of our intimacy with him. They're not works for the sake of good works. You understand? Okay, we were created unto good works. 
We're not created for good works. We're created unto good works. The relationship with God is first and foremost. And as a natural byproduct of that relationship comes an outworking of our service to the world. But it starts with service to the Lord. Priority number one is to prioritize your service with the Lord. And we can't confuse that with our serving in the church. Does that make sense? Priority number two is going to come in with our second covenant. For those of you who are married. And I've got to thank my dad for this. Because this is what he hammered into us as boys, as children, and as men. And still continues to remind us we got to come back to priority. And so i got to thank my dad for this and the Holy Spirit for this. Because that is the teaching that we were given. And so if you are married out there, this is the news that we need to give you tonight. Is that your very second priority in service is your spouse. If you are married, your second duty and responsibility to serve is your spouse. That is so important. Because that, when we have that priority in order, God first and then our Why is it our spouse? Because our spouse is the only other person in the world, even in the spiritual world, other than God, that we have covenant with. When you get married, that's a covenant. And so you are loyal first to covenants, first to God, and then to your spouse. And along with your spouse comes the product of the covenant. And everybody knows what the product of the covenant is, right? It's your kids. It's our children. It's easy to talk about that stuff with you guys because, you know, you've got to be careful when you talk to the teenagers, you know. But the product of our covenant with our spouse is our children, But how many of us, if we were to take inventory tonight, how many of us have those priorities right? You know, there have been times in my life where I'm putting work above my wife. There have been times in my life where I'm elevating work above God. Okay? And it's subtle. But if we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, He's going to show us those things. And all we have to do is tweak and amazing. A little, you know, those of you who go to the chiropractor, you're absolutely amazed that this little adjustment made you feel so good. It's the same thing in the Spirit. A little adjustment will make you feel so good. And it'll be right. It'll be the right thing to do. So we got to walk this out. We serve the Lord first. If you're married, you serve the, your spouse second. And you know, if you're not married, part of your service, you know, the, the scripture gives some evidence and some, some information on this, but part of your service to the Lord can and should be through the church. You know, Paul writes, he says, I would that none of you become married. Why? Because he who is married must determine whether he is to please the Lord or please his wife. And I love reading that scripture because it reminds me that God understands that struggle sometimes when you're really trying to honor the Lord and you have another human being that you're also trying to take care of. And spouses, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And God understands that struggle and that battle. And that just comforts me so much. You know, but those of you who aren't married, your service to the Lord continues. You don't yet have another covenant. And so your service to the Lord continues, whether that's through serving the Lord through the church or serving in some other ministry. And this is what we see that Paul dedicated his life to serving the Lord. And that's your responsibility. If you're not married and you're not intending to get married, then you got to get before the Lord and say, Lord, what does this look like for me? And how can I be dedicated to you? And how can I be devoted to you in these areas? And part of what you have to do is we prioritize is once you have God in his right place. And then once you have your spouse in their right place and right under your spouse, honestly, has to come your children. And would you agree with that? It's got to come your children. And that is the godly order because it's operating within covenant. And as you do that, then 
then you can begin to become servant of all. But when the workplace is pulling on you, you've got to ask that question, does that go over my responsibility to my children or to my wife, if you have children and a spouse? You know, does that come over that? When the workplace is pulling on you, or even if the church is pulling on you, these are real things we have to work out. When there's a pull from another source, you've got to ask yourself that honest question. Is it going over one of my other responsibilities? Because the secret to God's kingdom in success, the secret in the greatness in God's kingdom, really, as we discovered, is serving. But really, it's prioritized serving. It's knowing how to serve correctly in God's kingdom. And when we get those things right, God just makes it happen. Let's talk a little bit about the workplace and then we'll bring this to a close. Many of you in this room, we have amazing people here in this church. Many of you in this room have prominent roles in the marketplace. You have prominent roles in business and in and, and the medical field and in politics. And, you know, and, and, and we have a whole different spectrum here. And what God's desire is, is that no matter what type of prominence you have in the public place, or what type of menial role you may think you have, the heart of servanthood, the heart of servanthood can actually be the same across the board. Whether you're the janitor scrubbing toilets, our janitor here says, I'm going to make these toilets look so good that Jesus, when he comes back, is going to sit on that throne. That's his motto. That's his motto. I don't know if Jesus will need to use our restrooms, but he is working, right? Colossians 3, do everything as heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man because it's the Lord that gives the just reward. That's a little plug for you, okay, man? <laughs> so, but, but that's really just it. In the marketplace, wherever you find yourself, you feel like it's a menial, you know, no, nobody really cares about what you're doing. Maybe you're running your own business. Maybe you have a prominent role, but you still can come back to, how can I be the servant of all in this place of business? How can I serve those who are even beneath me? It's not jeopardizing or moving your level of authority. Because if it didn't move your level, Jesus' level of authority, it's surely not going to move your level of authority. In fact, what garners the respect from the people working under you is the realization of yourself that you haven't gotten too big. And so God's desire is that he, if he can step out of heaven and come down here, then we can take that to the marketplace. We can take that to our homes. We can take that everywhere we go. Can I share one more thing with you? Or are you ready for me to go? Five more things. Usually what happens to me is when I'm done hearing from myself, then I just cut off. When I'm done, when I'm tired of me, then I'm done. But I think I've got one more thing I want to share with you. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. I want you to check this out in Luke uh, chapter 17 because this, this is where it really gets good. Luke chapter 17. This, this can be a little bit of a difficult scripture to process, but I'm going to help us understand in a minute. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to help us. I'm just going to lead us. Okay, Luke chapter 17, and when you get there, I want you to go to verse 5. Now, those of you that have subject headings in your Bible, what is the subject heading for Luke chapter 17, verse 5? What does it say? Faith and duty. Most of them are going to say faith and duty. When you're there, Luke 17, verse 5, shout at me, say, I got it. it. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, pause, the servant, put yourself in the context of what Jesus is saying. 
You're the master and you have a servant who has been working all day. You're talking 12 hours. This servant has worked all day long. And watch this now. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? No, but you will rather say to him, prepare something for me, for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Okay, this can be a hard scripture to swallow, but let's follow through what Jesus is talking about. But will he not, okay, we read that, verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. Now, this can totally be blown out of proportion and taken out of context. Jesus is not communicating, um, you know, something that is, is like, you know, you just do what you're told to do. That's not the heart of Jesus. You've got to put this into the whole picture. Jesus came and brought God to us as Father. And so when you come back to the heart of God, the heart of God is Father. But what Jesus is trying to communicate is the importance of understanding our role as followers of Jesus. To be glad enough just to serve in the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? Like that son, that prodigal son who came home and was glad just to be a servant, didn't even want to be considered a son. He was glad just to be a servant. And Jesus was glad just to come and serve his father by paying the ransom price for us. Now, here's the deal. If we willingly, God doesn't want you to, you know, um, uh, abrade yourself and to have, put yourself down and think of yourself not good enough. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is communicating here. But what he desires is that our heart be like his. And no matter where we are, that we have that servant heart. Now I'm going to wrap this whole thing up right here. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 2. Here is the deal. Proverbs 17, 2. Because if we're willing to be faithful servants... Here's what Proverbs reveals to us. Proverbs 17, 2. Oh, man, you put it up before I got there. It's cheating. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 2. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. When we are glad enough just to be servants in God's kingdom, he willingly looks at us as sons. You know, it's interesting that the scripture doesn't say sons and daughters, and we are sons and daughters, but sons are the ones who have the inheritance passed down to. And so, ladies, you are grafted in that as followers of Jesus. But what we have to understand is that just like that prodigal son, the son was willing to come as a servant, and the father kept him as a son. And so when we come and we're willing and glad just to serve the Lord, he already looks at us as sons and as daughters. And that's a beautiful thing. So I just want you to be encouraged by that tonight because, again, no matter where we find ourselves, let's go through the priority list. Let's remember that the greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. Let me pray for you and let me bless you. Father, I thank you for these faithful men and women. I thank you for just all that you're doing in their life and their desire to know you more. I, I just bless them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, you have such an awesome plan for each and every one of them, and I thank you for it now. 
Lord, I thank you for those who in this place right now have been struggling and tonight they're evaluating, taking stock and inventory on their own life and just determining where they are in their priorities. And Father, I thank you for making adjustments tonight by your Holy Spirit as we're submitted to you, making adjustments in our own life tonight that we could prioritize, put you first and put everything else as follows. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.